0: I wonder if you've ever worked with somebody or or, or been at school with somebody, maybe even lived with somebody that you totally despised because of the way they behaved or behave. Maybe it's not someone that you know personally, but somebody that you see on TV, maybe uh, you see them on the news or like like a politician or a world leader or a business tycoon and and their behavior as you see it just leaves you outraged and sickened. and you find yourself feeling just that there, there's no justice. There's no justice in the world. And, and, and maybe there's no justice in your own life. I've got to work for this person day in, day out. I've got to watch this person day in, day out. I used to work for a guy who was a little bit like this. And he was disliked and he was despised by everybody, not only that worked for him, but, but that knew him. And, and I still thought, what a terrible kind of thing to, to be that person that everybody who knew him, basically despised the guy. Two weeks ago we were looking at Psalm 51, and we saw how David made an absolute mess of his life, but then he came to his senses and he came back to God and he reconnected with God. Well, today we're looking at the next Psalm in the Bible, Psalm 52, but although it's the next Psalm in the Bible, it actually takes place quite a, a few years earlier than the events in Psalm 51. It's actually referring to an incident that happened quite a few years earlier in David's life before he was king. And he was actually, when he wrote this and and, and when the events took place, he was a fugitive. He was on the run. He was an outlaw running from Saul, who at the time was king. And David encountered this man who was a despicable human being who just lived for himself, sold his soul and wanted to gain wealth and power at any cost. A man who just lived for himself and would do anything for power and for wealth. He he was the kind of man that would sell his own mother if he meant he got on in life. If he could get richer or if he could get more powerful. Psalm 52 has the following title above it. It says this, For the director of music, a maskil. it's a kind of song, a maskil of David, when Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Of Ahimelech now don't forget the Psalms were actually songs hymns if you like that were sung by the people of Israel on different occasions there's 150 of them in the Bible and they're basically the hymn book of the Jews and in fact lots of the hymns that we sing today the Lord's my shepherd for instance we sang earlier Psalm 23 largely and lots of the hymns that we sing are are taken from the Psalms this psalm would be a little bit more difficult to kind of base a modern worship song on I, I guess but anyway that's what it is it's a song that David composed and wrote about an incident in his life involving a man called Doeg the Edomite. Doeg the Edomite. But before we read Psalm 52 and find out what David writes or or wrote, we need to read the account of David and Doeg the Edomite that Psalm 52 refers to. And we find that account further back in the Bible in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. So, so let's turn to 1 Samuel 21 verse 1 and we're going to read down to verse 10 and then we're going to uh, skip on to chapter 22 and we're going to read 1 to 23. But before we do that, just before I start to read that, Here's a bit of background for you. This takes place in probably 1011 BC, 1011 BC. And at this point in the history of the people of Israel, the temple in Jerusalem hadn't been built. In fact, Jerusalem wasn't even called Jerusalem. It was called Jebus, and it, it wasn't the capital city at that point. And instead of having the temple up in Jerusalem, they uh, worshipped in this portable tent. Uh, it was called a tabernacle. Tabernacle is just an old word for tent. And this is what it would have looked like. This is a recreation of the tabernacle based on all the, di- all the dimensions in the Bible. And the tabernacle at this point was located at a small town called Nob, just a few miles north of Jerusalem. So I've got my little pointer here. So here we go. So this is... Uh, this is it here, when it's working. And this is Jebus, which is just about two miles maybe from there. And Jebus became Jerusalem and was renamed Jerusalem. So that's, that's where it is. It just gives you a little bit of a context from that. Okay? And the priests at this point, the priests of God, the, the, uh, the high priests and so on, They looked after and they ran the tabernacle as a place of worship, as the kind of central place of of the uh, religious life of the Israelites. And they ran that tabernacle whilst living in this town called Nob, along with their families. Now, I know it's spelled N-O-B, but so that the teenage boys in the room, and, and probably some of the older boys as well, don't laugh every time I refer to it. I'm going to pronounce it as Nob, as in Job, okay? So with that in mind, let's read from 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him. Don't forget, David's on the run at this point from Saul. And asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. The priest answered, David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, "'Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent.' The priest replied, "'The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one.' David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And then if we skip down to chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul, spear in hand, was seated under the tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah, at Gibeah, with all his officials standing around him. Saul said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, that's David, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you've all conspired against me? No one tells me where my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me what my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse, that's David, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and the, his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or of any of his father's family for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg, You turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. In other words, were priests. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys and sheep. But Abiathar, a son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, That day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the deaths of your father's whole family stay with me don't be afraid the man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also you will be safe with me what a horrible human being doeg the edomite was he he wasn't an israelite he had no business being in Saul's um, kind of household he was actually an edomite and they were the enemies of israel and it seems that he'd been prepared to betray his own country and go and work for Saul because he wanted power and he wanted wealth and he was prepared to do anything to get that. 1 Samuel 21 verse 7 tells us that he was Saul's head shepherd. By the way, there should be an outline in your seat and all the verses are be on the outline up on the screen. 1 Samuel 21 verse 7 tells us that Doeg was Saul's head shepherd but actually he was much, the role he had was much more important than that. He was basically the man who was in charge of all Saul's livestock. So he would have been an incredibly important guy. He was the kind of equivalent of the person today who would be in charge of all of the queen of the UK's land and businesses and livestock and all of that kind of thing. So this guy, Doeg, was a really important and a really rich and a really powerful man. And he obviously got there by being prepared to do anything. He would do anything to gain power, to gain influence and to gain riches. David was at this point on the run from King Saul. And Saul had turned his back on God And he'd become this paranoid, jealous and evil man who wanted David dead and and had repeatedly tried to kill David. Even though David had only ever been loyal to him and had only ever served him, he was his David was his son-in-law. He was the head of the, of Saul's bodyguard, and yet Saul was so jealous of him and wanted him dead. And and when Doeg sees the opportunity to gain more power and more influence with Saul, he betrays David. He's the kind of guy you know in the class at school or at work who drops something into the conversation just to just to get his own back or to get something else. 1 Samuel 22 verse 9 says, But Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to him, Ahimelech, son of Ahitab at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Doeg used the knowledge he had of what was going on with David to ingratiate himself further with Saul and to gain more power. And more influence. And, and the final outcome of this one man's pursuit of power and wealth at any cost was this horrendous slaughter of a whole load of people. When Saul's own soldiers rightly refused to kill the priests because they were the Lord's priests that, uh, there at the tabernacle, Doeg the Edomite steps forward and he says, I'll do it you look at verse 18, The king then ordered Doeg, You turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys and sheep. It's difficult to imagine somebody more despicable than doeg he was prepared to do absolutely anything to gain power and riches and influence and so on even if it meant murdering 85 of the priests at the tabernacle and even if it meant murdering all of the inhabitants of Nob, including the women the children and the babies we don't know how many but this guy killed them all and then he killed all the livestock and this was way beyond what saul had actually asked him to do doeg went way beyond that and it was at some point that after all this had happened, that David then composes Psalm 52. So with that account of 1 Samuel in your, in your minds, and hopefully you're kind of outraged rightly at this guy, Doeg, let, let's kind of hold that in our minds whilst we then read Psalm 52. So if you've got a Bible, flip over to Psalm 52. If not, that's fine. I'm just going to read it, and you can just listen as I read it. So this is the, this is the setting. David writes this. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, oh, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot, uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. There's two characters in this psalm doeg the edomite on the one hand and then we've got david uh, on the other hand these are both real men this is an account of real events back from back here in first in samuel but as we read the psalm they're not just real men they are also representative the kind of a literary tool that david is using that they're representative of two kinds of people in life doeg is the kind of person who just lives for himself and will stop at nothing to achieve power and wealth But in the process, what we find in Psalm 52, finds himself facing God's wrath for all eternity. David, on the other hand, is representative of the kind of person who fears God, who worships God, who puts their trust in him and in God's unfailing love and flourishes as a result in God's hands in this life and in eternity. And the main theme in this psalm is the whole issue of having to live with injustice. David, who feared God on the one hand and was kind of a picture of all those who feared God, worshipped him and trusted in him. David had to live with the injustice of a man like Doeg, who would do anything if it meant greater wealth and greater power. And this is how David starts off the psalm as he refers to Doeg. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word. Oh, you deceitful tongue. And when we know what Doeg did, as we read a little bit earlier there back in 1 Samuel, we can see, can't we, why David described him like this? This is actually probably a quite a tame description of the guy from what we read. And maybe as you read those three verses there from Psalm 52, maybe that immediately draws someone into your mind, somebody that's in your life, or, or maybe just someone in the wider world that you uh, see on the TV or whatever. It's difficult, isn't it, to have to accept that, that there are people who behave like this, that there are people who live like this, and this is how they conduct themselves. And sometimes we've got to accept that we have to work with people like this or work for people like this. Or maybe we're in a, a class at school or at uni with them. Maybe sometimes even having to live with someone like this. Or, or maybe to have to watch you know, on the news seeing a, a world leader or a politician or a, or a business tycoon who's just like Doek. And it it seems sometimes, doesn't it, that there's no justice. There is no justice. They just seem to get away with this. They just seem to do it over and over again. And what they do just seems to be celebrated and they just seem to prosper. They get richer, they get more powerful. And it isn't right and it isn't fair. But David was able to live with this injustice, the, the, the injustice of Doeg and Doeg's evil behavior, because he knew that one day God would deal with Doeg. Verse five says this, surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. David at this point couldn't do anything about Doeg. He was completely helpless and and, and powerless. He was a fugitive, he was on the run from Saul, he was living in a cave. And and maybe this morning you feel a little bit like David. You don't have any influence you don't have any power you're in a situation where you you feel helpless watching whilst others behave with outrageous injustice maybe someone close to you maybe someone at a distance but but david was able to live with this outrageous injustice because he was trusting in god's justice he knew that one day god would deal with doeg and doeg would face god's eternal justice which was so much greater than anything david or anybody else could do God would bring him down to everlasting ruin. Ruin that's everlasting is pretty awful, isn't it? And and David uses three phrases in this verse. He says that God would snatch Doeg up. And the Hebrew phrase apparently is is used to describe someone kind of kicking embers out of a fire, so the fire goes out and and the embers being scattered. In other words, God was going to do the equivalent of removing Doeg and scattering him so he became useless and, and, and thrown on his own. That David then says that God's going to tear Doeg from his tent. In other words, he was going to be evicted from his home in a spiritual sense. He was going to have no spiritual home. He was going to face eternity on his own. He was going to face God's wrath forever. And then he says that God was going to uproot Doeg just like a tree is uprooted and as a result rots and dies. David had to live with the injustice of what Doeg had done and being unable himself to do anything about it. But he trusted in God, and David trusted in God's justice, knowing that God would one day deal with Doeg. And unless Doeg repented, then he would face God's wrath for all eternity. And verse six says this, the righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. The righteous, those who love God and who worship him, will see and they will fear, says David. In other words, they're able to see things from God's perspective because they fear God. Fearing God, by the way, isn't about being afraid of God, frightened of God. The Bible says that we can have the most intimate of relationships with God, but the fear of God, nevertheless, is something we should pursue. And the fear of God basically means having this deep awe and reverence and respect and, and holding God in great awe. And because those who love God and fear him are able to see things, that therefore, from God's perspective, they're able effectively to do the equivalent of laughing at someone like Doeg, somebody who thought he was uh, living it up. They are able to laugh at him. And when we laugh at an evil person, maybe not outright, but in our minds, it's kind of basically a non-violent way of bringing that evil person down. And so David is saying in this psalm that those who love God, those who trust God and fear him and worship him, are able to live with the injustices in this world because they know that God will deal with evil people one day. Paul says this in Romans 12 in the New Testament. He says this, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, and he's quoting then from Deuteronomy, the uh, the words of God, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. When we face injustice, as tempting as it might be, we're not meant to take revenge. And the reality is that most of us are not in a position to do that anyway, because we're often the powerless against the powerful, just like David was at this point. So we need to try and see things from God's perspective. We might be powerless, we might be unable to do anything about the injustices we're experiencing but we can live with injustice knowing that God sees all that is happening and one day God will deal with that person so we need to try to trust God's justice for the dough eggs in our lives there may be somebody in your life close to you that you have to handle every day and the way they behave is despicable or maybe someone you see in the wider world and we need to trust God's justice don't take things into our own hands, but trust God's justice for that dough egg, whoever he or she might be in your life. We may see God's justice in our lifetime. We may not. You may get to see, or God, see God deal with the dough egg in your life, or you may not. We, we've seen God's justice on, uh, and in the lives of evil dictators that have sometimes been disposed and imprisoned and sometimes executed, and we've, we've seen that, haven't we, in recent years. But it's much more likely that we will never see God's justice. Whilst the Doeg in our lives is is still alive and well, or whilst we're alive, but what we know is that if not in this life, then God will deal with people like Doeg in eternity. Because God is a God of justice, and God cannot bring justice. It's against his uh, character not to bring justice. It's a a denial of who he is. Psalm 50 verse 6 says this, The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. It might seem a little bit unloving uh, to a, or, or unchristian to, to want to see a person face God's justice and wrath. You know, surely we're meant to, to love everybody, aren't we? Surely we're meant to want everybody to be saved and, and not face God's wrath and God's justice. Well, that's true. But it's not wrong and it's not, loving, it's not unloving and it's not unchristian to want justice to be done and to want to see God pour out his wrath on a person for their sinful behavior. Because God is both a God of love and mercy, whilst at the same time being a God of justice and wrath against sin. And the two things are not contradictory. The problem comes when we focus on one at the expense of the other, when we become all about God's love or all about God's wrath. The two things are side by side in Scripture. And so it's not a contradiction for us to, on the one hand, be praying that God would save somebody who is perhaps a despicable person in their behaviour praying that God would bring them to repentance and salvation, whilst at the same time longing to see God's justice in that person's life. Perhaps at first glance it seems like a contradiction, but actually it's thoroughly biblical. We're, we're, We're following in the footsteps of God himself, who isn't longing that any should perish, but also is a God of justice. David was the very opposite of Doeg. And David's an example of the person who fears God, who worships him, who puts their trust in him, who... Uh, flourishes in this life and in eternity. David was able to live with the outrageous injustice of what Doeg had done, partly because he knew who he himself was. In verse 8 he says this, But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Doeg was going to be like a tree uprooted, says David, left to rot and die. Whereas David, on the other hand, he's like an olive tree, he says, flourishing in the house of God. Despite the fact that he's on the run from Saul, despite the fact that he's hiding in a cave, olive trees are evergreen and they're one of the longest living trees and their fruit is highly valuable. And in this picture that David paints of himself, David says, look, I'm like an olive tree flourishing right in God's presence, in God's house. And he knew who he was. And he knew that he was the opposite to Doeg. And so despite the outrageous injustice that he had to live with, he chose to trust in God's unfailing and eternal love. And and, and like David, we all have a choice to make when we're living with injustice. We can either focus on the sinful behavior of others, the the outrageous injustice that we, we see around us, or perhaps in people that we have to work with or live with or whatever. We can either focus on their sinful behavior and in the process, end up allowing ourselves to be defined by their behavior as we become bitter and twisted and full of anger and unable to think about or talk about anything other than the injustice that we, that we see. Or we can make a choice to focus instead on God, focus on his love, focus on his goodness and on what he's done for us and allow ourselves to be defined by those things and known for those things in our lives. David says this in verse 9, I will always praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. A great remedy for dealing with injustice in our lives and in the world around us is, is to focus on God, to make that choice to focus on God rather than the injustice or the person behind the injustice focus on what God has done and that's why that's one of the many reasons why it's so good to come to church each week and to hear at the table of injustice where Jesus bore the wrath of God that we deserve the greatest act of injustice in history and also the greatest act of justice sin was dealt with but we didn't get it Jesus bore the wrath of God and a great remedy for our injustices in our lives is to focus on what God has done and what he's doing in our lives and To do that, not only on our own, but with other believers in the presence of the saints, to praise God in the presence of his saints. In other words, to praise God with other believers. Because when we focus on God and we praise him, we make that choice to do that, whether on our own or especially with other people, with other believers. It helps take our minds and our focus off the problems of our lives including the injustices that we sometimes have to live with and deal with. And it helps us instead to focus on God and all that he is and all that he's done for us. So God wants us to choose, to make that choice, to focus on him rather than focusing on our problems. And that's true in every aspect of our lives, but especially in this situation here that we're looking at, of living with injustice. To focus on God rather than focus on the individual or the injustice. As, as we seek to rightly reflect God's character in our lives, to live like Jesus would, we should rightly be outraged by injustice. Jesus certainly was. And if we're able to address that injustice in some way, then we should. If, if God puts us in a place of influence and power and authority, and if we can bring redress, and that is good because God is a God of justice. But most of us can't. And if we're not careful, we can put all our energies into focusing on the injustice That we see in someone else or or in a person or in the world around us and we can end up being defined by that rather than being defined by our love of God and our trust in him and in his his unfailing love David's situation in Psalm 52 is is mirrored by the Christians uh, in the church in Thessalonica in Greece in the first century and Paul writes these words he writes two letters to the church in Thessalonica that we've got in the Bible and he says this in his second letter Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. David experienced an outrageous injustice in his life which he was at the time powerless to do anything about. And the believers here in Thessalonica in the first century were equally finding themselves at great injustice, being persecuted, locked up, stuck in prison because they loved Jesus. They were suffering greatly. And they were powerless to do anything about it. But as Paul writes to them, he commends them for their perseverance and their ongoing faith. They were persevering in the face of all kinds of injustice. And they'll put in their faith in God to one day bring justice. And as Paul says there in verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. God is a God of justice. And when Jesus comes again, he will bring his justice. He will bring his justice to bear against every injustice that has ever existed. And either people will have trusted in Jesus, and so therefore Jesus will have borne his own wrath in his own body on the cross for those injustices. Or if people have rejected Jesus, they will face his wrath forever in eternity. And that includes any injustices that you've experienced or are experiencing. Maybe there's a dough egg in your life right now. And you like the thought of going to work tomorrow or going home maybe today or whatever, is is not a pleasant thought because there's a there's a there's a dough egg in your life. Can I encourage you to persevere and keep trusting in God's justice? Sometimes when we see people like Doeg prospering and, and, and getting on in life and becoming more powerful and, and richer every day, have you ever been tempted just to give up and say, I'm just going to live like they do? They seem to be getting on. You know, what's the point in living for God when all it seems to bring me is problems and, and difficulties? Why is it that evil people like Doeg seem to prosper? And it can be tempting to think, I'm just going to quit. Living for God, and I'm just going to go and be a dough egg or a little bit like dough egg anyway. If, if the only way to get on in life is to live like dough egg, then why not just do it, even just a little bit? And, and on one level, you can see the sense and the logic in that. And, and lots of people decide to do just that. If you can't beat them, let's join them. But apart from anything else, the verses that we've looked at today show us that although people like dough egg do sometimes prosper in this life and do succeed in this life, in this world's eyes, they will eventually face God's justice, and they will eventually face God's eternal wrath. As tempting as it sometimes might be to, to, to live a little bit more like Doeg and a little less like David, God wants us to stay focused on him, to keep on worshipping him, to keep fearing him, and to keep on trusting him. You know, when the Doegs around us seem to be prospering and we're, and we're tempted to, to copy them in some way, we need to stay focused on God. We need to keep on worshipping him, making that daily choice to say, I'm I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live like David. I'm going to focus on God, worship him, and trust in him. The success that people like Doeg sometimes experience is always short-lived. It's at the most for this life, at the very most. Jesus said these words, didn't he? That a person could gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul. Whereas, if we've Put our faith and trust in Jesus if we're like David a person who was a man after God's heart a person who fears God worships him and trusts in him and in his unfailing love then we will flourish both now maybe not in a material sense maybe not in power but in God's sense and in God's eyes we will flourish both now and for all eternity just as David is flourishing right now in God's presence in heaven we don't know what happened to Doeg The Bible doesn't mention him again. Jewish tradition has it that he either died as a leper or that he was put to death when Saul died. Whatever happened to Doeg, what we know for certain is that unless he repented of his evil behavior and put his trust in God, and there's no evidence that he did that, then as verse 5 says, God brought him down to everlasting ruin. One day, Doeg and all those like him who live for themselves rather than living for God will one day face God's justice. So this morning, if you've got a doe egg in your life or if you see people like Egg in the world around you, can I encourage you, keep being outraged, absolutely, but focus on God instead and trust God's justice. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And verse 2 says this, My song when enemies surround me, my hope when tides of sorrow rise, my joy when trials are abounding, your faithfulness, my refuge in the night. Let's just pray. Father we confess that so often we are outraged by injustice Uh, we we, we see people in our own lives, people that we know or have to work with or interact with who are very like Doeg and behave like this. We we, we see people in the news and on TV and in, in the world around us who have no principles, no scruples and will do whatever it takes to get on and will crush people in the process. Father, it's difficult for us sometimes to, to cope with the injustices that we see. but I pray that you'd give us a greater sense of injustice, that we would have that sense of justice in us that you have, that we would be outraged by sin. We would be outraged by injustice. But, Father, as we are so often powerless to do anything about this, help us to trust you, to trust you, to hand these dough eggs over to you, knowing that your justice will be done. And you will bring justice into every situation of injustice that has ever existed in our lives and in everybody else's life and right throughout history. Lord Jesus, we thank you most of all that you bore the greatest injustice. You became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You took our place. You bore the wrath of a holy God for all the stuff that we should have uh, been punished for. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did that for us. We worship you this morning. We trust you. We love you. Amen.